So I designed this simple shirt on PowerPoint. It just says, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because that was the only software that I know how to operate, you know. So that's it. I printed 10 copies of that and 10 pre-order sheets. And then I went to the 10 classrooms on my floor because we were 370 in the batch. And then each classroom, I really pitched, you know, hey guys, I am doing a t-shirt souvenir. You know, it's our last year. I did a pre-order thing. It's a pre-order thing, right? But the funny thing was, I did not expect that I was going to get 250 shirts and we were running out of time already because I think I had like less than a week to finish 250 pieces. So I still remember this, like imagine it was a mini manufacturing firm in our small home. It's my mom, it's my dad, it's my six-year-old brother, my four-year-old sister. It was like a small factory in our house. But that taught me a lot, you know, like that was really my first venture in business at 17. Hello, everyone. My name is Dean Long and welcome to the podcast Lifeline. In this podcast, I will interview people who are having a positive impact in their community and have a strong message that deserves to be shared. We will dive deeper into their journey becoming a change maker, and hopefully you can take away some insights for your own journey. And please do subscribe to Lifeline on YouTube, Apple Podcasts, or any platform that you are using. And also you can share this episode with your friends if you like it. It's really what helps me the most. In today's episode, you will meet Pamela Mejia, who is a fashion social entrepreneur from the Philippines. She founded Phoenix to turn textile waste into higher value products and also fibers to train other fashion social entrepreneurs. She shares with us her crazy adventure launching and growing her first fashion business at 17 years old when in high school and then all her learnings from her second and third fashion businesses at 19 and 21 that helped launch Phoenix with solid grounds. We discuss her journey getting into fashion and then sustainable fashion, her reflections about the early years of Phoenix and the big dreams that she's working towards to completely reinvent the fashion industry and to inspire the next generations of fashion social entrepreneurs. It's a super energetic and fun episode, which is full of learnings. So enjoy and see you next time. Hello, hello, Pamela. Hello, hello, everybody. Okay, so I'm so happy finally to have you. I, I usually start by reminding how I know you, but I want to start by reminding and and. And just sharing with everyone how difficult it was <laughs> to start this this recording. Uh, <laughs> we we've been planning for two three weeks. I mean, this is normal, yeah. but I think yeah, we had to reschedule a couple of times. And we've been yeah. now together for I think thirty five minutes, just trying to connect Wi Fi. <laughs> 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 trying not to to be kicked out of Zoom. Yeah. <laughs> trying to get the sound correct but now it's okay after 35 minutes of, of fun mm -hmm. uh, we can finally start and yeah no so how do i know you actually the first time i met you was in a nightclub in bangkok <laughs> <laughs> well I, I mean we've met a bit before the nightclub but uh, it uh -huh. was in bangkok for this uh, youth collab conference about 
business integrity. Yes. But to be honest, yeah, I mean, you are a superstar in the youth collab world. So, I, I mean, I heard about you obviously before. <laughs> wow. I think I watched your videos so many times. I mean, that was one of the few videos on the youth yeah. collab website, right? So, I was trying to get to, un to understand what youth collab was doing. So, I was like <laughs> watching all the videos 10 times. Mm. Um, So, yeah, no, and then I met you in real life in Bangkok. Then we were in this room, in this nightclub with, with reggaeton, which was quite cool. Yes. Uh, uh, and, 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 yeah, and ever since, I mean, that Bangkok was two years ago now. And ever yes. since, I've, I've, we've, I mean, crossed paths online so many times, uh, in so many events. And yeah, actually, I got the chance to hear your story many, many times mm -hmm. in, different a lot of i mean different time i mean different timings different virtual countries etc i mean anyway and yeah, so i yeah. know so <laughs> yeah and now i yeah, so it really made me intrigued to 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 know the rest of the story i mean like i mm -hmm. told you like you no know, when you hear people in panel you always wonder like okay well where, who is this person actually yeah and Yeah, I think I heard you in the panel like six or seven times. Mm. So yeah, I have so many questions for you. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I had so much time to prepare. So. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, no, so yeah, no. So anyway, welcome Pamela uh, for the audience information. You have some mangosteen wine and Toblerone chocolate. And yes. And yeah, just to kickstart, uh, I'll invite you if you want to introduce yourself, who you are, what you're currently doing these days, mm -hmm. where you're coming from. I mean, anything you want to share to, to start. Okay, sure. Um, again, hi, everybody. I'm so honored to be in this super famous podcast. Wow. <laughs> Um, I'm really, really happy to be here. So thank you for inviting me. I am Pamela Mejia. People call me uh, Pamela or Pam. Um, I was born and raised um, in Manila, Philippines. I'm currently, should I say my age? Fine, I'll just say it. I'm 31 years old. <laughs> and I, I would say like I would identify myself as a fashion social entrepreneur. Um, right now, I, I just came back from uh, London. Uh, I just finished my master's in fashion entrepreneurship and innovation. And now I'm happy to be back here in Manila, Philippines to um, continue innovating new products for my fashion social enterprise, which is Phoenix, wherein what we do is we collect textile waste, such as old clothes and fabric straps, and we transform them into higher value products, such as shoes, bags. Um, but now we're leaning towards homework. Um, yeah, and well, career wise, that's me. Um, and I'm pretty sure you'll get to know me more as we progress in this podcast. So, yeah, <laughs> what should I say? <laughs> <laughs> no, that was good. That was good. Okay, um, okay. No, I, I mean, so you know, Phoenix, I think. Uh, I mean, now everyone understands how amazing it was, and yeah, just for the story, I forgot to mention, but I also wrote about phoenix in one article and yeah. you know when i went to timor Leste, i had so many one pages of phoenix <laughs> <laughs> to show to the young people 
Yeah, I know. Uh, so yeah, no, we are always carrying Phoenix around. Mm-hmm. Um, no, cool. No, thanks for the intro. Uh, Thirty-one is still very young. No worries, Pam. Okay. And <laughs> I mean, we'll have a lot of time to speak about fashion, about uh, Phoenix, and also I want to hear everything about all your fashion businesses. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I want to start before. I mean, the so the earliest I could stalk you. Yes. was until i mean and not until but since you were 17 i couldn't yes. find anything before <laughs> you were 17 so yeah. let's start from that uh yeah, yeah i wonder like where did you grow up and mm. yeah what were your dreams when you were like before 17 did you always see yourself in the fashion mm. industry or did you see yourself doing something else mm. i think you know looking back um I had this point when I was like in my 20s when I really had like a deep reflection on like how my childhood and life was that actually led me to this decision um and you know becoming like a fashion entrepreneur and looking back now you know uh, growing up so I am the first uh grandchild of both sides So like maternal and paternal I'm really the first like baby of the fam of both families my parents had me when they were both 21 they were both very young so yeah so typically uh, I grew up kind of I had um grandmothers who really spoiled me and they and then they spoiled me in a way of um you know like with with dresses and with clothes I guess um I would have to say like I grew up seeing my grandmother like my paternal grandmother like sewing dresses for me and um she would always pick the best shoes for me as well and I felt I feel like looking back now you know I feel like I really got my sense of my love for fashion from my grandmother from my paternal grandmother but then We are family of nurses and doctors. Literally the siblings of my father, they're all nurses, and then the sibling, my mom herself is a nurse. So, um I grew up, I was being conditioned that, you know, when you do grow up, you will eventually become a nurse or if you choose to do so, you you'll become a doctor. So like growing up, um I had that condition in my head, but Um I know growing up what I really love to do is to actually sketch like you know I whenever I watch like let's say anime or cartoons or any you know when you become a teenager when I was um watching reality shows such as um I don't know if people are familiar with this show but like Laguna Beach so it says a lot with my generation and my age but like So when I keep on watching all these shows, I would always sketch the outfits of the characters that I really like. So I had that habit in me like uh while watching like imagine watching a reality show and you have a sketchbook beside you, that's me. But then like on my senior year, um my senior year of high school, so um okay, there's actually this turning point in my life that I I feel like I really need to mention that became like the turning point and the actual motivation of you know how I live my life today. So when I was actually in 6th grade um 
my father had like a financial crisis with his business that eventually um, also affected our family. And because of that, like there was just a 180 degree change in our lifestyle that the things that we used to afford before, like things that I didn't even think about that were within my reach, um, I wasn't able to afford anymore. And I was studying in a really good, good and expensive uh, school then. And I was told like, so here in the Philippines, like if you actually, if you can't pay for your tuition fee, like your school fee, you always have to write a letter on why you weren't able to pay. Because if you can't pay, you can't take your exams. So that's like a thing here in the Philippines. I don't know with other countries. And that's actually the way I found out that our family had a financial crisis when um, I was called at the principal's office and I was told that um, I won't be allowed to take the my exams if my father won't be able to pay the balance of my school fee. And, you know, this kept happening from from when I was 11 until my final year, which was when I was 17. So like this whole um, financial crisis that's happened in our family really changed me because, um, you know, like I said, I was the first kid and then I became the eldest in with of three kids now. Um, so it's like, I was understanding, I was the only one receiving what was happening uh, with my parents and their financial crisis versus like of my siblings who were one year old and three years old that time. And so um, I have to say like our financial crisis was really one of like uh, one of the hardest things I've ever, ever, ever experienced in my whole life. Like, but like if you would change time, I would, I wouldn't really like change it because that's really what led me to becoming the entrepreneur that I am today. And so on my senior year of high school, because of that financial crisis, so um, here in the Philippines, uh, we have this thing, if you are a girl and you turn 18, you have like a a debut party. You know, like in France, right? They have that thing too, right? Like a le ball, you know? (laughs) Like when you turn 18 or like, it's like your coming out thing. But for you to have that party, you need the money, right? And um, back then, I really, really wanted to have that coming out party. You know, like, ah, finally 18 of legal age and stuff like that. So, But my parents can't afford it. So at the age of 17, I took it you know, to myself and told myself, you know what? I'm just going to earn the money to actually pay for my own um, 18th birthday party, you know, because it's a big deal. Like here in the Philippines, your like your 18th uh, debut party is a big deal. And so I opened my first ever fashion business, which was a T-shirt printing business, because I was looking back like, OK, what skills do I have? I really love fashion. I love to sketch. Um, and I'm very skillful. Um, I have skills with, um, I have knowledge in doing, you know, silk, silk screen printing. 
if you guys are familiar with that, like, so screen printing, I, me and my dad, we know how to print on shirts. And so my first ever business was called uh, Almost Famous. The, the, the name of the brand was Almost Famous by Pamela Mejia. And yeah, my first collection, I sold like uh, three, I think it was 250 pieces of shirts that I designed for... Wow. Yeah. Um, how, how much did I sell? 300 pesos is... It's about like, um, it's about five pounds or in dollars, it, it would be about uh, around six dollars. Yeah. So I think I'd stop there first, but like, that's how I really started. Like, if you ask me why I became an entrepreneur, it's because of our financial crisis. But really, the underlying motivation was just to have my 18th birthday party. <laughs> yeah. And you know what? Long story short, I sold 300 pieces for uh, 250 pieces for $6. And I had my 18th birthday party. So that was it. That really motivated me. I was like, I am an entrepreneur. <laughs> there. D- did you? That's interesting. Like, so like, you know, when you started, um, I mean, I, I like the. I mean, I like the maturity at seventeen to ask yourself, okay, what are my skills? Uh, yeah. What do I know to do? I will do that. I mean, I, I couldn't. I, I didn't have this maturity at seventeen to think about <laughs> this. No, no, really. Uh, you know, uh, yeah. for me, I find it impressive to do that at seventeen. And now I'm wondering, like, so what was the first, like? So you you needed to buy I guess some t-shirt white t-shirts and print stuff yeah. on it. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, what was the process and like how how did you manage to to, to sell so many t-shirts also like yeah. what were how did you uh, do that? Actually, this is a really nice question because now as you were asking it, it's so nice to look back because you know this was like what thirteen years ago, but the process is still fresh in my mind like how I made it all happen. So um, what I did was I actually took advantage. So we were um, on our senior year, we were going to have like our whole, our entire school. We were going to have like our, our annual sports festival. And I was the captain of the cheering squad. And I was also the captain of the, I was the president of the center for dance of the whole school. So I was like, I took that advantage, you know, like, you know, you're, you're popular. <laughs> I'm kidding. I was like, okay, I'm just going to take advantage of my network. And then during the sports festival, because I was the cheer, um, cheerleading captain and I was in my senior year, right? I thought to myself, I was like, what if I actually sell like uh, a, a shirt, like a souvenir shirt for the senior students like me? but is still in line with the sports festival. And this is something they can actually wear during the cheer dancing competition. Knowing it's like, if you wear this shirt, um, people are going to know that you're actually rooting for the seniors, you know, like us, the fourth year students. So I designed this simple shirt on PowerPoint 
It just says, <laughs> yeah, because that was the only software that I know how to operate, you know. So the design, um, so the theme of the sports festival then was, um, it's like a racetrack, you know, it's like a Grand Prix. So, and the seniors, we were like the Ferrari team. So um, I was like, and then back in, two, so this was back in 2007. And in 2007, statement shirts were such a big deal here in Manila. Like, um, like for example, let's just say, I love school, you know, <laughs> like those things. Like, or like, I love chemical romance or chemical romance fans for life. Things like that. So I took advantage of that that trend as well. So I did the design on PowerPoint that says, um, race to the limit, senior spirit. So that's it. That was the only statement. It, it, it was in like alternating black and, black and red ink. You know, like race to the limit was in red. Senior spirit was in black, you know, like that. And then, so I, I designed it on PowerPoint. I printed it. I printed 10 uh, copies of that and 10 pre-order sheets. And then I went to the 10 classrooms on my floor because we were 370 in the batch. And then each classroom, I really pitched, you know, hey, guys, um, I'm doing... Uh, I am doing a a t-shirt souvenir, you know, it's our last year, it's our last sports festival. If you wear this shirt on, um, on the, on the cheerleading competition day, it's going to be a big support for us, blah, blah, blah. But really, you know, like deep inside, you're really supporting my business. And so I did a pre-order thing. It's a pre-order thing, right? And then if they actually, eventually when you pre-order, you have to pay me in full already <laughs> and good thing like i told you a while ago i was because i was the captain of the cheering squad and was the center or like the president of center for dance you know people trusted me so they did pay full um before i even gave them the products so with all the money that i had i went out and like you know bought all these shirts with all the sizes and you know what i did like i told you a while ago um my dad and I were the ones who have the knowledge on how to do skill, silk screen printing, you know? So my dad and I were the ones who actually um, produced the shirts. But the funny thing was, I did not expect that I was going to get 250 orders. Like, I was just expecting, like, okay, 100. That's, that's fine with me. Um, 250 shirts. And we were, we were running out of time already because, you know, like, I think I had like less than a week to finish 250 pieces. And what? It's just me and my dad, right? So I still remember this. Like, imagine I asked my six-year-old brother and my four-year-old sister to help, to help. No, my mom. So it, it was a mini manufacturing firm in our small home. It's my mom. It's my dad. It's my six-year-old brother, my four-year-old sister. Imagine them like... Uh, giving out the paint to my the fabric paint to my dad my other brother is hanging the, like my brother is hanging the shirts my mom is the one laying out the shirts it was like a small factory in our house but that taught me a lot you know like that was really my first venture in business at 17 so I can still remember everything you know like it's it was 13 years ago but yeah, that whole process, it was really, really tough.
And actually, my parents were scolding me the whole time it was happening. Like, my mom was saying, never ever let us do this again. You know, like 250 shirts. Like, where do you hang that in your home? And I remember my four-year-old sister, she was saying, um, Ate, Ate is older sister in Filipino. She's like, Ate, I want to go to sleep. <laughs> you know, like a four-year-old. It's like child labor, you know? <laughs> yeah, so yeah, there, that was the process of it. Did you tell yourself, like, oh my God, I, I cannot, I won't be able to make it happen. One week is too short. Or, oh my God, what if people don't like my t-shirt? Yes. My reputation is over. I yes, need to yes. refund everyone. Definitely. Um, I, I sure did experience one of my biggest mistakes as well because um, because we were rushing. You know, you know, things don't happen you know, as perfect as you would like it to be, especially in manufacturing something for the first time. A lot of them, a lot of the prints actually... Uh, were bleeding and then when you thought already that the shirt was already dry so you start folding everything and you start to deliver them right and then on the day of the delivery when people wanted to wear the shirt there was like um, the red ink actually um, it went to another shirt you know there were a lot of things that did not go well yes it was sometimes you know when I look back I still cringe at those mistakes like um it took me a while to recover from it because it's like um people paid like six dollars back in that day it's a big deal for a student to pay for six dollars for a shirt and they will be like why is it not nice you know like some of Mm. the shirts did not turn out well so did did you get any complaints from from the customers Yes, yes, yes. And a lot, I mean, they were my friends, you know. <laughs> that, and again, like you said, that's my reputation, you know, because um, I, I had, you know, like they trusted me to, to deliver a really good product for them. But not, not all the shirts were nice. Honestly. <laughs> Yeah. No, but I, I have a lot of, you know, of of good good entrepreneurship lessons out of it. I mean, you you said like, what are my skills? What what do I like to do? But also, what are the resources I have? Right, which in your mm-hmm. case, what was your network in seventeen? And and I don't know, like uh, the fact that people trusted you. I mean, it for me, it's interesting that. You are aware and conscious of that at 17. I mean, uh, and yeah, it worked out eventually. I mean, did you continue with this almost famous? Yes, I actually did. I did. Um, I continued it in college. So in university, I continued this business and I actually scaled it. So like when I went to university, I just accepted like made to order shirts like um, back then, a lot of international um, music artists were going to the Philippines. So, like, for example, I remember, like, uh, Chris Brown and Rihanna had a concert here. And so, like, I designed, like, a Rihanna statement shirt and a Chris Brown statement shirt. <laughs> and I sold that as well. 
uh, when Chemical Romance went here, uh, people, I had I designed a collection. And then some people just wanted to have customized um, shirts. Like, I remember I had one customer who wanted to, like, a proposal, like, will you marry me shirt? So I do things like that. Or, like, let's say there was this one guy who just really wanted to impress his girlfriend. So, like, I love you, Carla shirt. You know, things like that. But then when I went to university, I started thinking of more ways to expand Almost Famous. And then I realized, um, so when I entered university, by the way, my first course was biology. So see, because um, I I thought I was going to be a doctor. So I took a pre-med course, which is biology. And then in university here in the Philippines, again, this was back in 2008. Statement shirts were a thing. So it's like it was normal to wear something that people will read that will say something about you. So back then, the statement shirt, the trend was to wear a statement shirt that says something about your course. So for example, what I did was in our blog, I suggested to our president, what if the way to identify our class, like our, our batch, is like an I love biology shirt, you know? And then my pres- the whole class agreed. So I created like this purple shirt that says, I love biology. And then other courses started seeing that shirt. And so other courses started contacting me like, Hey, can you make us? I love psychology. I love chemistry. And I was like, oh, yes, more orders, you know, more courses, more orders, more money, you know? And then I started making it like a university thing. Um, um, I decided to sell, like, I love university. So I studied in University of the Philippines. So, like, I made I love University of the Philippines in different designs. And yeah, so I think that continued for two more years until I was 19. Yeah, so from 17 years old to 19, I was just doing Almost Famous in college. How did, how did you notice the trends? Is it just by looking around you? Yes, uh, it's like a... So um, back then, I don't know if people will actually recognize this, but before Fenster even existed, people had Multiply in the Philippines. So it's called Multiply.com. So that was our Facebook. And then in like in the timeline of Multiply.com, um, this whole statement shirt was already a thing. And um, if people are not aware, like basketball in the Philippines is like it's the number one game here. And so, like, um, collegiate basketball, people would like to wear, like, I love University of the Philippines. I love Ateneo de Manila University. I love De La Salle University. So the statement shirts were really a thing. And I just, like, put a twist on it with, like, the I love biology, I love psychology thing. Yeah. I just hopped on the trend, really. Yeah. I mean, that's how it works. I mean, that's how you make it. Yeah, like viral and like yes, more people exactly. want to buy it. Yes, and you know, there's no social, like Multiply then was the social media. You didn't have Instagram, Facebook. I didn't have Facebook until 2010. 
So mm. yeah, that was I was doing this all on multiply. And you were still producing in your house with the help yes. of your family. <laughs> yes, but then um, when the when the courses shirt like the course shirt, the program shirt happened. The I love biology thing happened. I actually found like a small, a very small community of um, I didn't even know this before. Like the whole concept of social entrepreneurship thing, but like I, I found this small community of like old, um, not really old men, like the middle-aged men who knew how to do self-screen printing. And so I started outsourcing it to them because they're very, very, very professional. So when it was the big orders, like, you know, shirts with uh, 40 to 80 pieces, I'd outsource this to them. But if it's very personalized, um, I do it myself because it's actually more expensive to do something personalized versus if you do something like wholesale with the same design. So yeah, that's how I did it then. And still designing on, on PowerPoint? Yes. No, seriously, I was I was doing everything on PowerPoint, you know. Yeah, that's how I did it. I survived okay. <laughs> nice. Uh I I Well, I have a lot of questions about your next fashion business, but I want to to come back on on your university days. Uh, mm -hmm. Like, until when did you study? I mean, how long did you study pre med? Okay, so here's the thing. I, um, my friends they use they used to call me like the legendary person <laughs> who studied too long. It's because um, <laughs> so. You know, just to share, um, I studied in University of the Philippines. It's like the best university in my country. But it's known to have like, it's really, really hard to get in our university. But it's even harder to get out of it. You know, like there's a course, like there's a curse. Um, but the funny thing that happened to me was... Um, so when you graduate from the University of the Philippines or like when you study, you're actually you're actually called a scholar ng bayan. In Filipino, you call it a scholar ng bayan. In English, it translates to um, scholar of the country. You know, because it's a state university. Uh, and so like I call myself an ultimate scholar of the country because I actually attended Uh, I went to the three campuses of University of the Philippines. So like what I shared a while ago, I first studied BS Biology at the University of the Philippines, Los Baños campus. So that's where I first studied. And then I decided like, okay, maybe I don't really want to be a doctor. So maybe I just take another medical profession, but not nurse because I really don't want to be a nurse just like my my fam the rest of my family no offense to all the great nurses out there it's just i just don't want to be in the same profession as everybody else in my family so i and because i'm a very competitive person i told myself okay what other medical profession that does not a nurse or that's not a doctor but pays you really really well and then i discovered that um there's this course called speech pathology And um, what what 
in speech pathology, when you finally graduate and become a speech therapist, um, your patients are kids with autism, kids with speech deficiencies, even um, adults with um, brain damage who already forgot how to speak and communicate. So those are your patients. And um, it, the salary of a speech therapist is like three times higher than a nurse in the US or in the UK. And even in the Philippines, it pays really good. So I was like, okay, this is the program for me. But the problem was, if you apply for that program, it's a very, very, very competitive course. So, but I did try, you know, I, I tried my luck after um, biology. I decided to apply for speech pathology in another campus, but still in the same university. So um, it's called, this time it's University of the Philippines, Manila campus. Um because the Manila campus is like the medical campus where all the medical courses are in. And thankfully, um, I still remember that day. There were like um, 170 people who, were, who applied for that course. And I still remember on that day, there were like 150 people that were going to be interviewed on that day itself. But only 11 people will be taken. So imagine like 170 people applied, 150 people got shortlisted for the interview, but only 11 people will be taken. And I don't know, for some reason, they accepted me. I was one of the 11 people who got accepted. Um, uh, And it's funny because um, I still remember this on my interview. They were telling me like, um, um, they were asking me, What was I busy with? And I told them about my fashion business. And I still remember that time, one of the panelists, which was one of the professors of of our college, he asked me, if you decide to study in this program, you know, it's a difficult program. As you could see, it's very difficult and competitive. Are you willing to stop your fashion business? You know, the shirt is almost famous. He was saying, are you willing to stop Almost Famous um, just to get in this program? And of course, I said yes, even if I didn't mean it. So, um, yeah, so eventually uh, I started with speech pathology. But then this is where things started happening. Like um, when it was already my time here in speech pathology, this was, I would say, one of the biggest turning points of my life. Because, um, so when I, when I finally got in the program and I started studying and so I even went into internship already, um, I actually failed one of my big class, one of my big subjects. And then what happened was my, the, de- my, the professor who happens to be our dean, she told me, she asked me um, to have like a one-on-one consultation with her. And then she asked me like, and this is one of the biggest turning points of my life. Um, because um, I thought she was going to talk to me to retake the test so she can give me another chance. And I really thought that was what the conversation was about. But the conversation went like this. She was telling me, first she told me, was like, is this what you really, really want? Like, um, I can see that you're really not 
that passionate about this course. And so I told her, like, what made you say that other than the fact that I failed your subject? And she was like, um, she told me that um, she would always see me sketching gowns. Like, like at the, if you check my exam papers and my test papers, if you check the back of it, you know, the black, you know, like in test papers, they're like black pages. I would always have sketches of gowns, of shoes and bags. And I forgot to mention on like um, on my second year, I think um, I actually opened a clothing business. Okay. Uh, an, an online clothing business, which was called Secret Paris. Um, and it was very, very, very successful to the point that I was, like I was more into that than studying, which actually made me fail one of my big subjects. But so she was, she keeps on saying like, you know, you're very successful with your online clothing business right now. And, you know, this is what you're busy with. So she kept on asking, is this what you really want? Is this what you really want? And then my answer was, I mean, I was just forced to be here. I feel like I'm just forced to be here. Like, even if I want to go into fashion, I feel like it's too late. Like, you know, I have fi- one final year left and I'll be graduating. So, like, what's the point? But then, um, because I failed, right? I, it's going to be, I, I, I have to retake everything. So I have to be delayed one year. And then, so our dean was saying what? She was saying, she explained on her end, she said, like, you know, when I used to be on my senior year, like in my senior year in university, and I had um, one semester, like literally one semester, that's like four and a half months, uh, four and a half months left to graduate my university life. Um, she, was ta- she was taking the, uh, a psychology course that was her undergrad. She was saying, um, I was a psychology student. I had one semester left, but I knew in my heart I wanted to be a speech therapist. But if I wanted to be that, it would mean that I have to transfer and start college all over again. And then she said, imagine just four and a half months getting my psychology diploma, but I decided to transfer to speech therapy, to speech pathology and start all over again. But here I am, you know, I'm so happy and like I'm one of the best, you know, she's she's really literally she's the dean. She's one of the best speech therapists in Asia, not just in the country, but in Asia. And she was like, it's because I followed what I really like. And so that was like she told me, like, don't be scared to follow what you really want to do just because you only have one year left to graduate from this course. And, you know, it was really that conversation that really made me change my mind. So secretly, I transferred, like behind my family's back, I transferred to another campus, which is the main campus of uh, the University of the Philippines. So I transferred to uh, UP Diliman. And my course was, my dream course, ever since I was 11 years old. I knew in my heart this was the course that I really wanted, which was clothing technology. So in 2011, you know, 
finally, I was including technology. And the funny thing was, on our first day of school, this was so funny. So, like, in pre-med school, you know, you have this med school uniform, you know? Like, you wear all white, all white scrubs. You know, people would know you're a, med, a pre-med student or a med student. So my mom, I still remember this, on the first day of school, including technology, I was all dressed up. No, because you're going to fashion school. So, you know, dress up. I was so happy that it's like the first day of a new life for me. And my mom was, I remember, I still remember my mom was ironing my pre-med white uniform. And then she saw me. So I went out my room and then I was all dressed up. I like, I really had this really colorful dress. And then my mom was like, oh, you don't need your uniform? Because I just ironed your uniform. And then I looked at her and I said, mom, like I was going to cry, you know, because <laughs> like I did not, I didn't tell my mom or my dad that I actually transferred because, you know, I'm really scared for my life. <laughs> and I transferred to... Um, you know, I was like, mom, I need to tell you something. And the funny thing was, you know, the funny thing, my mom, the first thing that my mom told me was this. She looked at me, she shouted at me and she said, don't tell me you're pregnant. And I was like, <laughs> what? <laughs> Cause you know, I was already like really crying. And then I was like, wait, what? <laughs> <laughs> and you know like I even got mad at her because now I have to defend myself and tell her you know what I answered to her I told her like I literally had a breakup last year mom so I was like I even had to refresh my memories of my breakup just to defend myself like what what do you mean I'm pregnant what so and then she said okay if you're not pregnant then what is it why are you crying and why are you not wearing your uniform and then i said mom i transferred to another course so my mom started shouting like what what did you do blah 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 what are they so and then she woke up my dad which was like oh my god not my dad and then and then my mom was like Dad, dad, your daughter, your daughter transferred to a fashion school. Your daughter transferred to fashion school. And then my dad, you know, my dad woke up, but my dad was really quiet. And then, because my dad is like, at first he will be calm and then he will get mad, you know? So my dad was like, no, 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 refresh me. Tell me, tell me what did you do? And I said, because... Because I really wanted to be a fashion designer. <laughs> you know, I was crying. And I told him, so today is my first day in, in fashion school. And then my dad was like, what did you take? Fashion design? Blah, blah. And then I said, no, it's, it's clothing technology. <laughs> he would said, you know, like, it's a fancier, it's a fancier course. And then I, he said, what's clothing technology? And then I said, it's like fashion design, but for smart people. That's what I said. You know, just to defend myself. And then, yeah, I was punished. I was really punished. Um, because of that, my dad told me that um, because you made decisions on your own, then you have to pay for your school on your own. So on my first semester, um, I had to 
pay for my own school fee. And they didn't give me... My punishment was um, they didn't give me an allowance for like two weeks. You know, just to punish me. Because, of course, they, they felt that I disrespected them for making this decision by myself and behind their backs, you know? And yeah, so um, thankfully, you know, Secret Paris was doing really well at that time. So um, my clothing business was the one that really helped me, you know, put myself to school uh, with my allowance and then all my extracurricular um, activities and needs that I need to pay for. It was all because of my clothing business. Yeah. So, yeah, but then... You know, I when people ask me like what's one of the like what's one of the bravest things that you've ever did in your life? I'd always answer this one, like one of the best decisions I've ever it was one of the scariest things I've ever did, you know, because so many my family really got mad at me. And for you to transfer from pre-med to fashion school with like one year left, you know, that's a very, very scary decision. But um if it if I did not do that, I really wouldn't be where I am today. Like seriously, like it was like a new life for me, which is why I really named my business Phoenix because I can really relate to you know um, the death of an old you and then the rebirth of a new mm. you know. So I mean, there's so many layers to that, but like I feel like that's what really represents me most, like. I really turned my back on this identity and, you know, followed the real me. Yeah, so, yeah, there. <laughs> how, how long did it take for your parents to accept this decision? About a year. Yeah, about a year. Because um, during my freshman year, so again, like what I told you, I have to go back to zero, which is why it took me seven years to graduate university because um, I had to go back to freshman year. And then during my freshman year, like, um, like I mentioned a while ago, I'm, I'm a very competitive person. So like, I, I made sure I was really good. Um, during my first year of coding technology and thankfully like there were magazines who actually picked up um, my clothing business then and then um, I started the fashion blog and you know like tumblr tumblr was a thing before back in 2011 and then I was gaining a lot of readers and international readers so there were a lot of brand partnerships which eventually led to magazine features tv features and so, like, I was able to show my parents that, and because I was able to put myself through school, you know, with my um, clothing business. So I eventually showed not just my parents, but like my whole family who got mad at me, like, that there's actually money in fashion as well. Yeah. There. It's, um, why do you think you are so competitive? Uh, <laughs> I, um, I think it's in my nature. Um, the, the most casual explanation I would say is, I don't know if people believe in this, in this but I highly believe in astrology. <laughs> but like, <laughs> I'm a Capricorn sun. So 
Capricorns are the most competitive and most ambitious of all the, you know, <laughs> astrology signs. And then my rising is a Leo, which is very, very... A Leo wants to be a superstar. So Leos are very competitive as well. So, <laughs> so by nature, I feel like I'm competitive in that way, but also because I feel like... Um, I just feel like, uh, especially with what happened uh, with my whole family getting mad at me, um, there's just this side of me that really I have to prove to them that I made the right choice. You know, that nursing is not the answer to everything or being a doctor is not the answer to having a wealthy, fulfilling life. Like, so I was sort of like, you know what? I, I have to be quote unquote competitive to prove my doubters wrong. You know? You know, things like that. Yeah. But also because I'm a Capricorn. <laughs> <laughs> Shout out to my fellow Capricorns. <laughs> yeah. And would you I mean I I do a flash forward big leap into the future uh i mean i don't know how daily days mm-hmm. 11 11 p.m shoes yes. superstar yes. oh my god like you did your up. research yeah. oh yeah I, I, even I, I found almost i mean you know, your linkedin profile is very interesting yeah. I, I had to, it took me so long to to <laughs> I was on my phone, so I was just like trying to go down as much as possible. Anyway, uh, uh-huh. is that? I mean, so from what I understand, from almost famous yeah. Secret, Paris Secret Paris and also Phoenix. Now, uh-huh. would you also say it's because you're Capricorn? I mean, would you also say <laughs> that everything you do, you you succeed? I mean, I feel like you know everything you you've been doing, you yeah. you know. It, you succeeded in it would you how, how would you explain that honestly to i'd actually say the opposite um i feel like everything that i did at some point it succeeded but then in the end for me okay i feel like it's still it failed which is why um i had to move to another business or another business model but not really failed in a way, but there's a lot of reasons. For example, from Almost Famous, um, I discovered the power of selling um, vintage clothes online, which was Secret Paris. And that was, that was my thing ever since this whole sustainable fashion thing happened. I was already wearing vintage clothes and I was like, okay, I want to stop doing the t-shirt printing and I, there's really so much more money in this one. And I really like doing this. And then I did it. It was very successful until it came to the point that the market was very saturated. Like Secret Paris was one of the first brands who did like selling vintage clothes online in Manila before. Like we were one of the pioneer brands. And then everything, ev- almost everybody started copying the business model. So the market became saturated. So I was like, okay. I'm going to change my business now. So um, when I transferred to clothing technology, I thought I wanted to be a shoe designer. And so I put up 11.11 p.m. 
Um, and for those wondering why I named it 11.11 p.m., it's because I like wishing at 11.11 p.m. And p.m. are my initials, you know, Pamela Mejia. So you, you said you, you like wishing at 11.11 p.m.? Wishing, wishing. Oh, oh, Yeah. Oh. <laughs> you know, like people make, okay. yes. make a yeah, wish yeah, yeah. at 11.11 p.m. So I... Okay. People knew that about me. Like, she's that girl who likes to wish at 11.11 p.m. So, I I named my business 11.11 p.m. And also because my initials were, you know, Pamela Mejia. But then, um, when 11.11 p.m. happened, I I also discovered, I learned so much from that business because it was very different from Secret Paris. 11.11 p.m. was really like a real, real fashion business because you had to design your products and then you have to manufacture it and you have to sell it. So, I mean, it was like, it's just a very different one because this time you're actually designing, like it's very different from t-shirts. You know, t-shirts, everybody wear t-shirts. But when it comes to shoes, there's you really have to have a particular target market, you know, and back then, I didn't know that um, this was 11.11 p.m. was really um, one of my, like, the businesses that I've learned so much. I didn't know the concept of target market back, back then. So all the shoes I designed were shoes that I wear. I like to wear. So back then, I like wearing four-inch heels, you know, all these high heels and very, very loud prints. And, you know, I thought everybody wanted that. But apparently, no, not everybody wanted that. So, yeah, um, I learned the concept of target market, of the importance of um, branding, like the whole branding, not just like that branding doesn't equate to having a logo. That was the first time I learned that, like, it should be the whole look of the brand. And to have that business, I actually had to loan my capital from my aunt. And because the business failed, uh, it took me a hard time uh, paying her back. There's just so many things that I learned. And it was because of 11, 11 p.m. And combining it with like in parallel. So I was doing it in parallel with my clothing technology course, right? And all this time, I thought all I wanted to be was a fashion designer but when it finally came down to to actually doing it, you know, doing 11, 11 p.m., studying clothing technology, wherein you had to, you know, sew. I, I literally make clothes every day. And then I realized I don't want to make clothes. So it was very stressful for me. So I was like, I actually had an identity crisis. You know, I was so scared because I was like, why is it like I've loved fashion my whole life and now I'm doing it. I'm making clothes every single day, but it's stressing me out. So what, and then um, like what you said, I even had like Dali days. Um, I attempted to do like an online clothing business with my friend in Singapore. Like all the clothes were manufactured here and then we sell it in Singapore, but that also failed. But the turning point of my career in my clothing technology life, came during my senior year wherein you have to do your individual thesis or a dissertation. And this was back in 2014. And I read about 
this quote-unquote social enterprise in Los Angeles. It's a fashion social enterprise. And I'm like, what is a social enterprise? Like, why do they call it the social enterprise? And it was also timely that I got invited to attend this conference in Hong Kong called Make a Difference. And then um, on the first day, the plenary speaker. So I got invited there because I was a young entrepreneur. Okay. I, I was like a young fashion entrepreneur. So like I'm, I'm like a young change maker, you know, but on our first day, um, our plenary speaker was this man called John Bird. And John Bird was the founder of a social enterprise in the UK in London called the big issue. So if you guys aren't familiar with this, um, the big issue is like, um, it's a magazine that, uh, so the big issue, they try to help the homeless people in the UK. So what they do is they sell the magazine for a one, one, one pound and 50 pence. And then the homeless people would buy that magazine and then they will sell it for three pounds. So the 1.50 profit is like, you know, that's what they earn. And so, you know, the line that I still remember, you know, the line that he said, he said that you, uh, we shouldn't, uh, we shouldn't train, we shouldn't give people aid. We should teach them how to trade. That I still I can still remember that the thing that he said, and that's what social entrepreneurship is about. We do not give out handouts. We actually help them, you know, have their own income and things like that. And and I still remember after his talk, I went backstage and I was like, I'm very interested in this whole social enterprise thing, and I wonder if he can apply it in fashion, blah blah blah. And so when I came back from that trip in. Hong Kong, and it was time for us to do our thesis topic. I told myself I really want to study about fashion social enterprises, and so I ended up writing my thesis, which is I'm still proud of it until this day because this really changed my life. This thesis. So my thesis was about the baseline definition of fashion social enterprises in the Philippines. So. The problem that I notice is a lot of people claim that their brands are social enterprises. Like, oh, we are a social enterprise. But in the Philippines, there's no certification body or, you know, an organization that actually certifies what a fashion social enterprise is. And so I did a case study on the so-called fashion social enterprises in the Philippines. And then the outcome of my thesis was like an eight point criteria. So I made like a criteria. My research ended up having a criteria, eight points um, of that defines what a fashion social enterprise is. And that research really, 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 really inspired me to create my own fashion social enterprise. And yeah, that was really the motivation to start Phoenix. There. And I mean, what is uh, I mean that so that how to say how to frame this question? <laughs> so 
you, you're writing your thesis yeah. and how <laughs> what there is a, there, there must be a step before upcycling kimonos and yes, make shoes. yes 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 <laughs> yes and i tell you exactly <laughs> um yes yes so um remember i was i was saying a while ago that i really really want to have a social enterprise of my own and so the first thing that i did was because i noticed um one of the conclusions like what one of the findings of my research is that Um, I was able to class it, like categorize that each social enterprise actually um, solved a particular social issue, right? So whether it was like a decline in the use of Philippine indigenous fabrics or like um, the there's like like less number of weavers, um, there's less promotion of textiles. So there there's like different social issues in the fashion industry so i was like okay then what problem do i want to solve so i really started with um because the thing that i've learned right the thing that i've realized when i did my research was all my previous fashion businesses did not have a problem to solve it was literally just an existing fashion brand that wanted to be part of people's wardrobes, you know, like we just wanted to dress people really good. That's it. But like, if I wanted to have impact in the fashion industry, what problem do I want to solve? And I always say this in all my pitch, like whenever I do my business pitch and my eureka moment really was, I was cleaning my closet one day and then I realized that there's no proper disposal venue for my old clothes. Like in the Philippines, we don't have a textile recycling center or we donate it to charities, but like we really don't know where it goes. And it just so happens that one of my classmates in my course was doing a research on the, like the ineffectivity, like, it's very it's not efficient for us to actually donate our clothes to ta- to like the less fortunate or like let's say to typhoon victims because usually people donate clothes that they don't use right and so if you as a person like you don't you don't have use for such clothes why do you think like typhoon victims would use them because if you sort through the donation boxes these you'd see that the clothes are uh let's say gowns or like or like cocktail dresses formal wear um winter wear you know things that people who would receive them would have no use of and so i was thinking like okay we don't have a textile re- we don't have a textile recycling center clothing donation is not that good what else can i do about it and so remember, I had a brand, 11.11 p.m. And so I took these, some of these dresses that I didn't like anymore. I went to my shoemakers and I told them, can you please make um, a sandal out of my brown, of this brown dress? Can you please make um, sneakers out of my red dress? And can you please make heels out of my blue dress? And so true enough, the week after, I've had my samples. 
and I was like, this is it. This is the business that I like. I want I want to turn old clothes into shoes. So that was actually the inspiration and the start of Phoenix. And to tell you the truth, actually, Phoenix was called 1% before. So mm-hmm. like, <laughs> I know it's so weird, but like, the, the brand name of Phoenix was 1%. Because it's like, I had this, I had this idea before that um, what, like being part of the 1%, you know, this whole 1% thing is a rare thing. So it's like a rare thing. So like, it's just like our products, our products are rare. And our tagline before, I, I can even remember the tagline of Phoenix, I mean, 1% before was wear rare footwear. That was mm. Yeah. But thankfully, I changed it to Phoenix. My gosh. So, but it took a while, you know? It took like a year before I even um, changed it to Phoenix. Yeah. So there, that was really how Phoenix started. It was with my closet. But like, so you... So the shoemaker, when you gave the the dress and stuff to make, he was like, or she was like, yeah, sure. Yeah, <laughs> uh, but no, I mean, yeah, of course they 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 first found it very weird, but because I was, you know, we were already making shoes for me, so okay, whatever. And it was, you know, it was a simple task. It it was just like. It, those were just um, simple shoe designs anyway. But um, I must say, like, you know, they were like, what do you mean we're going to use your clothes? You know? Yeah. And, yeah, so you had the first samples. And and what was the, like, at that stage, what was for you the biggest challenge? Was it to... Design beautiful shoes. What is what was it to collect all clothes and understand which clothes to collect, or was it to understand who would buy it? Um, I think for me, my number one concern then was uh, the funding, which was I think to this day has always been like <laughs> uh, it was really the funding because. Um, I was so, so, so excited already to start it. But then for the shoes to be created, it has to, you have to have like at least, well, my man, the, the shoemakers, they gave me an even lower, um, like, no, you know, like when you have something manufactured, you have to have a certain number of MOQs, like a certain number of quantity for them to mm-hmm. actually produce it. And usually the shoemakers, they require one design to have 24 pieces at least. And that's too much, you know. If you're just a starting brand, that's too much. So they even lowered it. And it was like 24 pieces for one size. So imagine like size 36, 24 pieces. Size 37, 24 pieces. And so I asked them like, please, 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 is it okay if you if I could have one design for 12 pieces only, and that's already different sizes, you know? And I had to bargain things like that because 
we don't have budget i don't have budget you know i was still a university student and like i said you know 11 11 p.m didn't work out well so you know i had to work my way up because i was literally bootstrapping as well and so that was my i i think that was the start of um me joining so many business competitions in search Mm. of like funding to start uh phoenix then yeah, but definitely it was the funding that, um, because you know to get the the old clothes, it was easy for me. You know, I could start with my own closet, and then a lot. When I told this to my friends, a lot of them they were like, "Oh, finally, I can do something with my old clothes." Like they were just finding the right venue to literally donate their clothes. You know, but even if I had all the donated clothes in the world. If I didn't have the money to actually um, transform them into shoes, then we're not going anywhere. So, yeah, definitely that was one of the first big challenges of Phoenix. Which year was that? That was two thousand fourteen. Going to going to it was late two thousand fourteen. Going to two thousand fifteen already because now I consider the anniversary of Phoenix as. March 2015. Yeah. Which because is that's... <laughs> because <Yeah. laughs> that was the month that it... March 2015 was my first ever national win in a business competition. So I was like, this is it. We're legit. Because <laughs> we finally won. <laughs> yeah. And, and you won funding as well on, on that? Actually, I didn't. I didn't win um, any funding from that competition. But like, um, the experience was we had two investors who wanted to invest in us. And when I say us, it's me, myself, and I. <laughs> and um, yeah, but um, so so. By the way, so because funding was the challenge. I told myself, okay, if we can't go retail, then we have to change the business model. What if we do made-to-order first? Like, let's, like, I should do, like, customized pieces first because, you know, I mean, custom pieces are, there's more money in it. And then from there, I can actually save up and, you know, get more money. So what I did was I started approaching, like, brides, like brides in my circle, like in my friends who were going to get married. And then what we did was we turned the wedding dresses of their moms to their bridal shoes. Do you get it? Like um, they they were going to wear shoes for their weddings, right? So these brides, what we did to create their shoes is we got the wedding gowns of their moms the ones that their moms used for their weddings before. And then we turned it to the bridal shoes. And some even ordered like oh. um, to turn it into the shoes of their bridesmaids as well. So we had that reputation of creating um, custom shoes. Because because I lack funding, it was the only, you know, it it's the business model that I can afford. But then, you know, um, because of that, I had something to show to my 
to like wh- when I pitched like okay this is like when the judges ask like who are your customers and I and I would always say like oh right now our business model is made to order because there's no funding yet but eventually I would like to go to retail like that and then so from March 2015 on May 2015 uh, late May going towards June actually um, and this was like um, my graduation month already in university. I got into this another. I got into an international business competition um, in Vietnam. There were like sixty startups, and all of us were competing. And like, are you speaking about just collab? No, 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 no. Not. It's different. Okay, it's, it's, it's Yseli. Um, oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah, it's Waisili, and then it's a regional workshop for young entrepreneurs. I mean, this particular workshop was only for young entrepreneurs. The title of the workshop was um, Power of Entrepreneurship. And then um, 60 entrepreneurs from Southeast Asia were invited for five days. And then on the fifth day, it's a competition. Like everybody will have a two minute pitch in front of a judge, like a panel. And then, you know, only one winner will take home everything, you know? And the winner was me. <laughs> so there was no funding, but um, the sponsor was Microsoft. And then they gave me a brand new phone. And so what I did was when I got home, I sold it on Carousel, and then I used that as my capital <laughs> for Phoenix. Yes, so yeah, there. And then in the whole 2015 uh, month after my streak on, like when I won that competition in Vietnam, every month I had a competition abroad, and not everybody had funding. Most of it were like. Um, trophies only but then that was my way to build phoenix and you know like the value of phoenix like we won competitions blah 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 yeah so and usually every time i'd compete um if there's no funding there's always a gadget that i'd win as a con like a prize and so i always sell i i will always sell that to use it as my capital And how long did it take you until you, you managed? My... Mm-hmm. Yeah, that until you could make your first collection. It took me a while, my gosh. Um, it took me a really, really long time because I, I guess there are other factors, but it really took me a while. Um, so that was like 2015, right? And... Every month from June to December, I was, I was traveling once a month to compete abroad. And then in 2016, um, I got into the YCD program again. But this time, I was in the U.S. to study social entrepreneurship in Arizona State University. And then they also had a competition there. In, and I was privileged, you know, because I was able to pitch at the White House. And then... I won a grant for that as well. But then um, 
but you know, like all these money that I win, uh, or like all these gadgets, and then I transform them into money, and even the small grant that I was given, um, it still wasn't enough for me to go retail because it's really expensive to go retail, to be honest. So I still continued with the made to order, made to order, and so my you you could say like the life cycle of Phoenix was just always. Um, competing abroad. Um, and I used to always tell this story that Phoenix had this curse that if the competition has um, no funding and then the winner, um, there's no funding, uh, Phoenix usually wins as the champion. So usually I would get a trophy or a gadget, you know, but if the competition has funding and the champion takes all the money, Phoenix would always win first runner up, you know, so we're not the champion. So I still don't get the money. Hmm. And so do you, do you get the difference? Like if it's just a trophy, Phoenix is the champion, but if the competition has funding and the winner takes all Phoenix is just first runner up. So, um, yeah, and then, um, but you know, to be honest, like, I really enjoyed my time traveling because, like, um, I would say, like, you know, in like as norm, like as normal people, our some our goal sometimes is, you know, we work to have an income to travel the world, you know, so like that's a normal thing for people. Like, we work to earn money to travel, right? And um, even if Phoenix wasn't reaching its peak yet, um, I was already traveling the world. So I was really thankful for that experience. And it's all for free, you know, because I was competing. So everything was always all expense paid. And I was really building my, my network. Like, I had so many friends uh from all over the world because this was this was like one of the perks that came with you know competing and then so i i continued doing that like traveling competing and doing this uh made to order business model until 2018 happened which is one of my favorite years ever we're in finally um we got a big grant and then phoenix also started um getting into like a bigger league of competitions as well like mostly more like there's just more recognition to these to these competitions that we joined so in 2018 um phoenix won our first big grant which was from the un environment so we won twenty thousand dollars um because we were one of the winners of the low carbon lifestyle challenge of UN environment and the money that we won here was used to buy um, equipment um, have our retail production and then to launch in Malaysia and this was also the year that um, I was sent to Bangkok to compete for youth collab regional like the Asia Pacific one and thankfully Phoenix was one of the champions. And then this 
because I won that, I was also sent to Beijing for the Youth Go Lab um, in China. And I also was one of the winners. And then it was also that year that I got into a business accelerating uh, accelerator program in Kuala Lumpur. So I lived in Kuala Lumpur for like four months. And because of all of that simultaneously happened, I also used the grant to launch our retail products in um, Kuala Lumpur, in Malaysia. So we had pop-up stores in three different malls in Kuala Lumpur, Malaysia. And then we started selling retail in the Philippines as well. So it took a while. If you could see, like, that was 2015, early 2015. And then um, we won in 2018. But we did our full retail launch in early 2019. That was really long. That was a really long time. Yeah, I wonder, like, during this three, three, four years, yeah, 2015 to 2018, 19. Yeah, would you would you redo anything differently? <sighs> wow, <laughs> that was a deep sigh. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, I think. I mean, I I am. I am where I am today and I'm really thankful that, you know, I really believe in perfect timing. But at the same time, like, I I feel like this is still my thing now. I have this thing of, I used to be someone, like, if I have an idea, I would just start it and be like, it's going to be, if I had a business idea today, it would be launched next week. But because of all my failures, this is, I feel like that paralyzed me to to just because because of my failures and then I have more knowledge now of of what I should be doing to start a business um now it takes me a while to start or to start working on something because I have this thing that oh things should be perfect it has to be like this blah 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 so if if there's one thing I wish I could change is that um, I should have just, you know, just do it, you know, these ideas I had in my head before, I shouldn't waited so long to make things, to make the conditions perfect, you know, I was like waiting for the right time, right condition, blah, 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 right product, right everything, that I wasted so much time that it took a long time, you know, so... Yeah, if I could change one thing, maybe that's it. But to be honest, like, I also believe in perfect timing. So I am mm. where I am, you know. But I, I just wish I could remove that trait of mine even today, you know. I still have that with with me. Like, just do it, Pamela. Just stop being scared. <laughs> it's because I know too much already, you know, that it paralyzes me. Unlike before, you know, when you're young and naive and you're like, yes, I can do this. And, you know, that led to my the success of my early businesses. Like, I didn't know too much, so I just went with it. But now, you know, with attending all these competitions and I studied, I literally had my, I have my master's in entrepreneurship and innovation. It's like, oh, I have to make everything perfect. 
And yeah, that I I feel like that really delayed a lot of things with Phoenix. It's I mean it's interesting, right? Because we could think that the more you know, mm-hmm. you would know what to do. Yes, but many times it's the opposite. It's like the more you know, the more I mean, the more you know, the more you know that you don't know, and the more yes. you know what you need to be to be doing, but you cannot do it right now. Yeah, so, like, so that's interesting. It's very ironic, to be honest. Yeah. <laughs> so you had this first collection, and yeah, where are you at now with Phoenix? Okay, so um, with our first collection, right? That was like uh, early 2019, and then I started. Um, what happened in 2019 was first. I got the scholarship to study in Berlin. So like I had like a a six week program of fashion technology in Berlin. So but like so the retail production was still you know, we were still selling in Malaysia in you know, in parallel to me studying in Berlin. But then I received another life changing scholarship, which was Uh, my evening scholarship. So, uh, you know, I've had this dream of studying my master's in my dream school, in my dream course in London. And I finally got my scholarship. And so in 2019, you know, it was like, I studied in Berlin for six weeks with the fashion technology. So when that scholarship ended, I literally had like a month, a month of rest. And then I moved to London. So... I made. I also made this hard decision in 2019 because um, I'm a solo founder, and if I'm not in Manila, this business won't operate. And so, I made this deci- decision that if I move to London, I think that I I I have to pause Phoenix, which is weird, you know, because like. This was the year that literally we finally went retail and we're finally out in the stores. And not, it's not even in Manila. It was in Kuala Lumpur, you know. So we already went international, you know. But then I had to make this hard decision that um, Phoenix, I have to pause Phoenix and um, I really have to concentrate with my master's. And it wasn't a easy decision at all because you know a lot of my close friends even my family they all they actually got mad at me because they were like you know you know phoenix is already on its way up and then you're gonna pause it and then i told them that um i really have to concentrate in london you know but i promise i'll maximize everything Uh, to make sure that Phoenix will also benefit with me studying in London. And so what I did for 2019 to 2020, all I did was um, to join competitions, uh, to to establish, establish different networks and connections so that I can actually launch Phoenix in London. And I got really, in some ways, I got really lucky because... Um, My break, you would say, my break, my small break in London was last year. Um, 
Oh, sorry. I want to mention also that I think that, you know, I made that decision of pausing it, right? And I think in the end, it kind of, it was a smart decision in a way because the pandemic happened. I mean, the pandemic, it's a very unfortunate thing. But when the pandemic happened, if I did not pause Phoenix prior to the pandemic, I would lose more money, you know? during the pandemic if it was still operating do you get it like yeah if i didn't pause phoenix early i would just be burning money during the pandemic Hmm. so in a way it became a smart decision to pause it and what happened actually was in london because i was joining a lot of competitions as well and then of course with my master's in fashion entrepreneurship and innovation so I, that was my master's, and I studied at London College of Fashion. I was able to build my network, and and then my small break was Phoenix um, got into the final five of the Mayor of London Entrepreneur Competition. And this was a very competitive competition because, you know, imagine 518 startups joined, and Phoenix was in the final five. Can you imagine that? Like, and I was the, literally the only Filipino non-British in that mm. final five. So that was a really big thing. And um, if I did, so again, the curse of Phoenix, which was if there is a grant, which was twenty thousand pounds, and the winner takes all, Phoenix was the first runner up. But then miraculously something happened with the winner um that phoenix um what happened was they had to okay something bad happened that they had to um retract their decision and and so phoenix got a part of the grant because i was the first runner up you know and so now um what i also realized by the way during my time in london was um this was also because of the effect of the pandemic is that I wanted to, um, there are new products that I wanted to innovate because I learned so much and now we're leading towards homeware now. So homeware and more of like as a lifestyle brand more and furnitures. Um, mm. I'm really, really excited to share the new products of Phoenix actually, because I felt like I learned I felt like Phoenix had its own Phoenix, you know, like <laughs> our time in London, the pandemic literally burned us to ashes. And now, you know, I'm just so ready to create all these new products for Phoenix. And um, so like right now I'm back in Manila. Um, I just came home last month and um, right now I'm trying to develop the new products for the homeware line and our new product called Phoenix Bricks. Just so exciting because we're turning textile waste into building materials and construction bricks. And hopefully, if all things go well, um, I'll be back in London by June and July because, like I said, I won a grant. And the grant, actually, we need to... to have our output by summer of this year in London. And so, yeah, right now, that's what I'm busy with, which is uh, developing and 
prototyping the new products that you know I've researched and you know been planning since I was in London. Yeah, so it's really the like I said the rebirth of Phoenix for me. Mm. Yeah. And um like I really want to ask you. Mhm. So no because yeah no I, I think we spoke a lot about the past and the present and I would love to know no knowing that how like the tra- trajectory of phoenix now how do you see i mean how do you see yourself in in let's say 2030 because we love the sdgs <laughs> yeah <laughs> uh, so where, where you know where how do you see yourself in 2030 And how do you see Phoenix in 2030 also? Mm-hmm. You know, my, my, my career goal has always been, um, I really, really want to be, oh my gosh, is it okay to say this out loud? Yes. <laughs> I'm scared I might jinx it. <laughs> okay, I'll just say it out loud so I can claim it. And then I will look back on this podcast episode in 2030 and say I made it. <laughs> but really one of my biggest career goals is to be one of like um like the leading you could say like the leading experts and thought leaders when it comes to fashion social entrepreneurship like when you say fashion social entrepreneurship the first person you'd think of is Pamela Mejia like that's my mm. goal Like in and I'm I'm talking about a- in Asia Pacific, you know, not just in my country, but like Asia Pacific and even in the UK. Like, I just want to be one of those thought leaders when it comes to fashion social entrepreneurship. So I really want to be an expert in this field. I really want to hone. Like, I really want to master this this whole craft of fashion social entrepreneurship. No, that's really my biggest career goal. And in line with that, I really want to make an impact that um, I challenge myself that in, in this lifetime, I would really like to train and empower at least 222,000 aspiring fashion social entrepreneurs. That's my goal. I I literally wrote that down. Like in my lifetime, I should be able to train that many entrepreneurs who are into fashion social entrepreneurship in my life. Mm. And for, but of course, in 2030, let's just make it like the ten thousand, or maybe twenty two thousand. Okay, let's be. Okay, let's take it one one decade at a time. You oh, yeah. know, twenty thousand first. Because <laughs> right now, under my belt, I had like sixty one fashion graduates. I I've never mentioned this in the podcast, but I also have another startup. If you guys are listening, uh, Fibers. So what we do, Fiber stands for Fashion Inclusive Businesses for the Environment, Reformation, and Sustainability, and we train um fashion social entrepreneurs so right now i already have 61 graduates in three different you know we have three hubs there's fibers philippines fibers malaysia and fibers thailand and hopefully my goal in 2030 is really to complete the all this the southeast asian countries 
and to even expand in the UK already. But for Phoenix, you know, this is my OG baby, you know, like I've been working on Phoenix for, it's, it's literally like my sixth anniversary this year with this baby, <laughs> you know, and really my goal is in 2030, my goal with Phoenix has always been like, um, I really wanted to be a household name, like meaning like, um, because now we're shifting towards a lifestyle brand. Um, I wanted to be part of like people's home, you know, whether it's in your kitchen or in your living room. I, I don't want it to just be a fashion brand. I want it to be a lifestyle brand where, um, you know, people actually aspire to have a Phoenix furniture in their house or like, uh, like a Phoenix kitchenware. You know, like I want it to be a household. Um, it's something you mentioned in your house or like it's a brand that that people are really familiar with that they actually connect to as a sustainable brand in itself, you know, or if not, if not that I also want us to be um a full textile recycling center. Because in my head, you know, I always have this vision of like, um, like, you know, this big warehouse and you have, a, you know, all these textile recycling machines. You know, that's my dream. I just really want to um, recycle textile waste. Really. That's just <laughs> my dream. <laughs> so that's my dream for Phoenix. So hopefully by 2030... Some of the goals that I've mentioned, hopefully, if not, if I haven't achieved them by that time, at least, like, you know, 88% of it, hopefully. <laughs> yeah. You always, you always say very funny numbers. <laughs> I'm a Capricorn. Just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Just being realistic with my goals as well. <laughs> yeah. Like let's say, let's say, out of hundred, mm. hundred yeah. is how you just described yourself. Like mm -hmm. when we think about textile waste or fashion, social entrepreneurs, the first name that comes to our mind is Pamela Mechia. Yeah. So this is hundred out of hundred. How would mm -hmm. you place Wait. yourself today out of hundred? I think um, I definitely go with like. 40, 44%, like that, maybe 40%. Yeah, I think I'm in that level. I mean, people already associate me, but like, um, I, I guess I place this really high standard on myself that I, I know in my heart I still have a long way to go. Like, you know, I may be on my sixth year with Phoenix, but I really feel like I'm just still starting, you know? So I'd place myself at 40. But because I'm competitive, just kidding. <laughs> like, yeah, 40%. And yeah, what's, I mean, you mentioned it a bit, but what's missing for the rest of like, I mean, the for the 60%, 60%, yeah. Yeah. 
Um, I I feel like um, I just I guess one of the things what that would give me real confidence is that um, you know when I start when Phoenix starts earning with like the amount of money that like the the profit that I really wanted to earn and um, when we finally have more community partners that um, I just there's just I feel like the indicators would be definitely in terms of like our the revenues and income and profit but at the same time like um, when we finally have the full capacity to actually recycle text, re- receive and recycle textile waste, because right now um, I've stopped accepting textile waste because there's just no um, there's no storage space and funding to recycle them all. At the same time, you know, we ha- we on- we we've only partnered with two communities right now, and you know, I want to partner at, with many, many more co- um, communities in terms of our production. You know, just, um, I feel like the 60%, a big chunk of it would be dependent on the success of Phoenix because um, me being, my career goal of me being an expert would be a byproduct of it, you know? But at the same time... Um, like what I told you a while ago, one of my career goals is to train as many entrepreneurs as I could as well. And um, that would take a lot of time to reach that amount of entrepreneurs. So until then, it wouldn't be 100%. So yeah, there's a lot of way to go, but you know, I'm not giving up. Like, like what I said, I'm only starting. Yeah. Do you have a message for whether it's fashion, social entrepreneurs who might be listening or people mm-hmm. who know fashion, social entrepreneurs yes, in Asia? Yes. Oh, in Asia. Okay. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, well, I always say this, that um, I really believe that I'm obsessed, you would say. Maybe I'm obsessed with you know, social entrepreneurship, I just really find it so interesting and fascinating that um, I just really believe that when you start a business, um, might as well go for the triple bottom line. I always say that, like, don't just go for profit. You know, make sure you have positive impact for the people and for the planet. And then, um, so that's my first point. Like if you're just if you're gonna build a business, might as well build it with impact. And second is, entrepreneurship is really hard. Like if you just listen to the whole episode of this podcast, the journey to where I am, and I don't even consider myself a successful person, but like it's really really difficult. Like entrepreneurship is not for everybody, and so when you decide to become an entrepreneur yourself, you always have like. Start with your why, and every day, this why of yours, like why you started this business, why are you doing this? This would be your main motivation, especially on your hard days. So 
know your why. Why do you want to be an entrepreneur? Why are you starting this startup? Why are you doing this startup? You know, you should always know your why or else it won't make sense to do this. And then my third thing is timing is everything. Like one of the biggest lessons that I've learned is that um, there's really, there's just really um, power in perfect timing. Like you could have the best product, the best team, or even the funding. But if it's not yet your time to break through, it's not going to happen. Even with my, um, for example, in the competitions that I've joined, um, my heart would really, really break if I don't win in the certain competition, only to find out that literally the month after the comp- the next competition, I would be the winner. Or like, um, I failed this scholarship in 2018, but then in 2019, all these scholarships started coming in. And then I would look back and say, oh, I failed that because I had to win other competitions. And, you know, there's just timing, timing is so powerful and you just have to put your trust in that as well. You know, if things don't go your way, you know, just always tell yourself there's power in right timing. So those are my three points. Is that fine? And and, yeah. (laughs) 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 And and all the fashion entrepreneurs, they can contact you, right? Yes. Fibers. Yes. Yes. Um, um thank you for giving us this opportunity to promote this but um yes uh i would like to invite all our like aspiring and current fashion social entrepreneurs especially in southeast asia but um don't worry if you're not from southeast asia it's okay because we've had graduates from the uk from paris uh from china and from like london um so you can just follow us at fibers so it's like on instagram and on facebook it's like at fibers collective so um you can contact us there or you can just email us at pamela at fibers collective.com yes and we would like to you know get to know you partner with you network with you because you have a really good network of fashion social entrepreneurs in southeast asia yeah, so take this opportunity to partner with Pamela, the, <laughs> the, 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 the person that everyone thinks about when we think about textile waste. Don't, don't miss this opportunity. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, and yeah, also, uh, would love if you could share as well. I know it has been, mm-hmm. I mean, seeing what you shared for Yuskola Mongolia or previously for the climate dialogue. Mm-hmm. which has been so impactful for young people, especially when we don't realize it. Uh-huh. But any, any yeah, tips, advice, anything that you'd like to share with just citizens who'd like to address the textile waste issue, or what can they do to, to mm-hmm. have better fashion lifestyle? Yes. Yeah, like what you said, I've been sharing this, but start with your wardrobe, with your closet, literally with your... You know, go to your closet right now. And then um, I think there's power in, I have to say this also, like there's power in knowing the clothes that you have so that you make uh, wiser choices. Um, And like I said, I always use this tip, like for your clothes, 
wear your clothes at least 40 to 50 times before throwing. Actually, throwing is not the word. Before donating them, make sure you maximize um, your clothing. And prior to that, make sure you buy quality clothing, you know, so that you're, you're actually encouraged to, to wear them a lot of times. And another practical tip would be um, to wash your clothes. Like, make sure your washing machine, like when, when you wash your clothes, it's full, fully loaded so that the clothes won't, will have less friction. Therefore, there will be less microfibers in the water and less pollution. And the third is support local brands, especially sustainable fashion brands and fashion social enterprises, you know, like Phoenix. Because not only do you help the planet, but you do make an impact towards the artisans and the makers who made your product there. Those are my tips. (laughs) (laughs) Yay. Um, No, no, but I think that's interesting because... uh, I mean, it's what you said, you know, when you open your wardrobe and you had this epiphany, I think buying clothes has been, no, but like, yo, I mean, we're just bombarded with fast fashion and stuff like this. And we don't question mm-hmm. anymore what we're buying. I mean, yeah. I, I've seen, I mean, in some communities, in some countries, in some groups of people, it's more and more, I mean, it's good. It's more and more trend, trendy to, to yeah, I think think double double think, but well, it's not a word. But think about what you. I mean, like you know, yes. Uh, I've seen like you know, like for in France now, uh, mm-hmm. like sustainable fashion has been so trendy, mm-hmm. which is good. And yes. yeah, I think it makes people ask the right questions on okay, do I need these clothes? Yeah, uh, and it comes to what you said, like knowing what you have, because you might buy something that you don't need or that you have already. Yeah, and yeah, just reducing the amount of clothes that you have and amount of clothes that is produced. I mean, hopefully, like yeah, can reduce the amount of clothes that is produced. Uh, not to waste too much resources, water, raw materials, etc. <laughs> Uh, mm-hmm. So, yeah, I think it's good to think about it. So thank you for all the cool advice uh, mm-hmm. for all the responsible citizens out there. Um, <laughs> I, 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 yeah, I want to conclude with two questions that I always ask. Okay. Um, the first one is, I mean, I, I feel like I know the answer already, but maybe <laughs> when I ask the question like this, maybe something else might come out. Yeah. Um, but yeah, how do you want people to know you for and remember you for? Um, like, like I said, <laughs> I just really want to be like what you said. Um I just really want to be, when you say fashion social entrepreneurship slash sustainable fashion or textile waste, the first person you think of was, is me because I want to be remembered as one of those people who really persevered in finding solutions um, to this problem. That's really how I want people to, you know how we, like, 
that's really the career branding and personal branding that I really like to have. You know, that, you know, I spent my life finding solutions for textile waste and to help people scale their fashion social enterprises. That's how I really want to be remembered. And that's what I want to do for the rest of my life. And how do you want people to remember you as a person? Like, your personality. Okay. I just, <laughs> at the end of the day, I'd really, um, I just aim to be remembered as someone who is genuinely kind and very funny. <laughs> like, that's the, I mean, I always believe that if we meet another person, you know, we should always leave a positive impact on them. And, On my end, um, I always want to extend my genuine kindness. But at the same time, I also want you to have a good time with me. So, yeah, I for the rest of my life as well, I just like to be genuinely kind, but also very funny to other people. Actually, no, I noticed now that <laughs> you were funny. I mean... <laughs> 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 I mean, you know, I, I just know you from panel, and you know, so yeah. I mean, not to say that you are not funny during a panel, but like, yeah, you know, like you you just have all these random jokes while you are <laughs> sharing your story. It's so funny. Um, <laughs> Thank you! Yay! <laughs> See, just kidding. <laughs> um. Yeah, uh, and yeah, how would you describe yourself in three hashtags? Three hashtags. Okay, wait, who? Can I like, 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 should I be using like adjectives? Like one word? Or? Any. Okay. <laughs> I know some people, they put whole sentences in their hashtags. <laughs> okay, I hope, okay. Hashtag competitive. <laughs> Hashtag Capricorn girl. <laughs> And hashtag the superstar. That's really me. There. Which is also your Instagram handle. Yeah. By the way, guys, please follow me at the superstar. And, and just to share this, I'll take this opportunity as well. I will be releasing a YouTube channel soon and it's going to be oh. called This Superstar. Yeah, it's going to be like a documentation of my journey as an entrepreneur in building my two fashion social enterprises. Yeah, and I'm so excited. Yeah, so it's going to be called The Superstar. Yeah. In English or in Tagalog? In English, yes. Okay. In English. When will you release it? Okay, so actually this project has been delayed for the last two years. <laughs> but I finally gave myself a deadline and we'll see. But I think I'm going to release my first episode on March 10. So like of, you will... Like, like next yeah. week. <laughs> episode oh, yeah, one. That... Yeah. So yeah, so it might be released when this podcast is released so i will put the <gasps> oh link oh my gosh yes please yes 
And oh, what did I want to ask? Oh, yeah. So you, you, you like it's a channel where like you record yourself mm-hmm. or you do like ah, no. So, like, um, I, I, so I've been carrying a vlogging camera for the last two years. So, mainly I've been just documenting my journey, um, in different ways, like uh, in business competitions, at home, with my friends, when I'm traveling during my master's in London, and so. I documented myself and then now I, I'm putting it into different episodes uh, with the theme. Um, but basically, I just my, my target market is really aspiring um, fashion social entrepreneurs or entrepreneurs in general who just want to see how I actually, you know, try to build Phoenix and Fibers. Or just, you know, people who just, want to see what it's like to you know build the business you know all the failures um i, I just don't want to show all the happy things you know i read doc- like mm. literally i document myself crying when i feel something because i really want to normalize failure when it comes to entrepreneurship as well so yeah but like i said a while ago it's like uh, it's very it's going to be very informative but you know with me i really want to make things fun so it's also a funny vlog so it's like informative educational but also fun yeah cool so yeah everyone follow superstar on instagram find yeah. pamela Meji on linkedin yes please. facebook <laughs> uh phoenix on instagram yes please follow the upcoming youtube channel and pay attention to your wardrobe yes (laughs) (laughs) cool um no i think yeah it's been two hours Uh, yes i know (laughs) (laughs) it's time to go to sleep Uh, (laughs) i think you 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 might have missed the 11 11 p.m because (laughs) maybe you did a wish secretly (laughs) yes i'm just kidding yeah (laughs) But uh, no, thank you so much. It was really, really fun. Uh, I think one of the funniest episodes. I mean, just your energy, <laughs> your laugh, and all the funny jokes. Uh, and yeah, I mean, and me, for me personally, I'm yeah, super happy to know you a bit better. I mean, a lot better, actually. Yes, I know. Uh, <laughs> and yeah, you know, like I really love the story from the almost famous yeah. short line. Mm-hmm. I think you should share that more. I know. I mean, <laughs> I mean, it's really, I really liked it. I mean, it's really, I mean, it's I really lovely. I, I could have done the whole episode on Almost Famous, but we had to move on. <laughs> but I think it was super interesting. Yes. But um, yeah, no, thank you so much, Pam. Uh, see you around for another panel. And uh, yeah, good night. <laughs> Yes, I know. Thank you so much, Cersei. Thank you for having me. I'm so honored to be in your podcast. Congrats for listening until the end of this episode. Of course, to best support Lifeline, you can share this episode to two of your friends and subscribe to the next episodes on any platform. See you next time.